It's time to accelerate. Hey friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 671 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. Hey, I couldn't be more thrilled with the guests I've lined up for you today. Joining me is Harvey McKay. Now, Harvey McKay is the author of multiple New York Times bestsellers, including one of my all-time favorites, the New York Times number one bestseller, Swim with the Sharks Without Being Eaten Alive, and Beware the Naked Man Who Offers You His Shirt. Quite a long title, but love it. Love, love, love the book. He's also chairman of the McKay Mitchell Envelope Company. So, Harvey will be joining me. Unfortunately, Bridget won't be able to join us today. There's a story behind this, but I'll let her share the story when she's back in action. Today's show is brought to you in part by our friends at Discover.org. The Discover.org platform is a game changer for sales and marketing professionals. This feature-rich sales intelligence platform is supported by more than 250 researchers who continually update contact data and provide account-specific insight to help sales and marketing teams break ahead of the pack. So see the product live at discoverorg.com forward slash schedule hyphen demo. That's discoverorg.com forward slash schedule hyphen demo. All right, as I mentioned before, I'm really excited to talk with my guest today, Harvey McKay. Now, the topic is really about relationships, relationships in sales, relationships in life. Among the things we're going to dive into are why it's important for you in sales to know everything you can about your customer and why knowing that about your customer is just as important as knowing everything about your product, if not even more important. And then we're going to dive into what knowing your customer really means because it really boils down to really understanding what your customer wants. Because all of us gather data about our customers, about the people we want to influence. The question is, how well do we understand it, and what do we do with it? All right, here we go. Harvey McKay, welcome to the show. Andy, I've been looking forward to this. I'm uh, excited. Well, good, as am I. So I'm really looking forward to it as well. I think I read your first book, Swing with Sharks, uh, gosh, right when it was published, I think. So that was back in, that was a while ago, not to date myself unnecessarily, but uh but as we were talking about before we we started recording, is it was one of those books that was you know on my bookshelf that that uh, you know I took some really distinct lessons from, and this is I think part of what we're doing here with the people in the audience is we want them to educate themselves as much as they can about about sales, selling, people, psychology, so on, anything that could make a difference for them. And that was one of the books that made a difference for me. Thank you. I uh, I think the. Uh uh, the goal that I've always had is take-home value. I'd like people to hear my lecture, read my national syndicated column, mm-hmm. read my book. Just, just imagine now, if every listener out there, every viewer out there, could just pick up a book, get one or two ideas, and use those ideas the rest of your life. Wow. So I call that knowledge does not become power until it's used. Right. Ideas, not action. And they are worthless. Yeah, and I, I, along with that, you know, I've always been a believer that uh, Brian Tracy, I think, has said, you know, if you just read one book a month about your field, right, guarantee within twelve months you'll be in the top one percent. And I, I firmly believe that. <laughs> uh, he's quite a guy, and, and I love his writings, and I agree with him. Yeah. All right. So, um, tell us a little bit about yourself and your your background. If people aren't familiar with you, if they haven't read any of your books, I mean, two bestsellers, uh, Swim with Sharks, the one I was referring to earlier, Swim with Sharks Without Being Eaten Alive, and Beware the Naked Man Who Offers You a Shirt. Great titles, both. Well, I can give you a uh, 
I suspect the 30 to 60 second elevator speech. <laughs> uh, I'm a Twin Cities businessman, born and raised uh, in St. Paul, mm-hmm. uh, University of Minnesota, you know, which is right in my back door. Uh, I was going to be a professional golfer. Ah, but, didn't, didn't uh, know that. Okay. Not up after playing against those Southern kids. And I've got, uh, uh, my father was head of the Associated Press, national syndicated columnist also. Mm-hmm. So I've got about uh, 10 million books out, 80 countries that I'm proud of, of course, 46 different languages. And I get to speak once a week, uh, Andy, the last 30 years to a Fortune 1000 company somewhere in the world. That's India, Pakistan, China, Burma, uh, all over the world. Now, I write that national syndicated column for approximately 10 million newspapers. That's 100, uh, 100 newspapers, 22 years of, of writing that column. And then my seven books, uh, I guess I'm kind of proud that all seven <laughs> are, are New York Times bestsellers, but really proud that the two you, that you mentioned, Swim with the Sharks, I'll be eaten alive, Beware the Naked Man, mm-hmm. Sir, New York Times named the top 15 books, business inspirational books of all time, last 100 years. I have two of them on there, which are those two books, along with Dale Carnegie uh, and Norman Vincent Peale and Stephen Covey. So, all right, right. And, the, and for people for people watching and listening to this, is, is, and I stress this all the time with companies and teams I work with, is that yeah, there are books that are classics that that don't uh, don't age, don't become outdated. And yeah, I just went back through in preparation for our talk today. I just went back through and reread some of the sharks. Thank you. Um, and yeah, I just I have clients who all the time every year I have new clients that I recommend. You know, they read this, they read Tom Hopkins, they read Zig Ziglar, they read uh, your uh, Stephen Covey's book, obviously. Um, and allow me, allow me to give your your viewers uh, a hot tip. Okay. Yeah, yeah, please. That is, I find virtually no, none, very few people that do this. A person's life equals the total sum of his or her experiences. Mm-hmm. And people come up to me the last thirty years. Oh, I read Swim with the Park Sharks. Oh, I loved, I loved your book. All over the world, they tell me that. But guess what? They read it when they're 19, 20, 21, 23. Our lives change. Yep. Well, I think every classic, Think and Grow Rich, you know, Napoleon Hill. Right. Again, Dale Carnegie, you have to pick that book up every single year. And you can't read those books. Big mistake if you read those books. You have to study them, underline them, highlight them, post-it notes, rough them up. Mm-hmm. And then every year, pick them up again. because. Look at the experiences you've had. You haven't been stabbed in the back, you know, before. <laughs> you haven't had someone come in and slash your prices. You haven't had someone come in and pirate your employees. Myriad of reasons why you want to read those books over and over and over again. Exactly. And because, I mean, I think that that <laughs> we have sort of this issue in sales, and, and I, I'm passionate about this, is I don't think that – I think it's been true forever. I think it's unfortunate. I think it's getting a little worse now is that people aren't investing enough in themselves in terms of increasing, educating themselves. Yeah, I, I like to distinguish between education and training. I think that we have more than enough training that most for the most part is not very effective. But what we don't have enough of are 
you know, it's education and professionals educating themselves or even companies educating their employees. Well, of course, I couldn't, uh, couldn't agree more. No, good. <laughs> uh, without question. Let me just tell you, uh, maybe in a, in a different offshoot or to piggyback on, on what you've just said, uh, part of my modus operandi is the number of coaches I've had in my life, and I still have about 15 or 20 of them. Mm-hmm. I, I, have a, I have a speech coach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a voice coach. I have a language coach. I've studied Russian, Chinese, Japanese, and Arabic a little bit. I have a marathon coach. I happen to be a marathoner. I have a tennis coach, a golf coach. I have a memory coach out of New York. I have a social media coach. I have a dancing coach. <laughs> Thanks to my wife. But anyway, you know, why do I have all these coaches? Because whatever my God-given talent is, whatever my God-given potential is, that's it. I can't do any better. So if I have a project, Andy, I have a time and action calendar mm-hmm. that I go out and get the best manpower, the best brains that I can, the best coaching on that subject. Then I focus. Then I leave it all out on the field. Try my guts out. Mm-hmm. Guess what? I don't. I don't ever have to worry because I can't do any better. Right. And that's what, of course, is some of the things I teach. And of course, you're just so spot on. Got plenty of training out there. But of course, remember all that training. Uh, I say practice makes perfect. That's not true. You have to add one word. Perfect practice makes perfect. Mm-hmm. Twenty million golfers out there in the United States. And let me just tell you, all right, among those 20 million golfers, a lot of them are playing eight days a week. A lot of them are practicing eight days a week. But what are they doing? They're perfecting an error. They, they, they put a ceiling mm-hmm. on how they can become. So therefore, you must practice the right concepts over a long period of time. And just what you said earlier, too, got to do a lot of education. There's night school. There's, hey, there's two things in life. I think uh, Charlie Tremendous Jones said this. All right. It's the people you meet and the books you read. Mm-hmm. That can change your life. Well, I think one of the things with training, though, that, that we see, and it's always, again, I think it's always been the case, but it's, it, I think it's more pervasive now, is that, and we'll go, I'll use a, gal, a golf analogy here, is, is, but they're trying to make everybody be the same. And this is one of the things you really talk about in your book is, is that I'm a passionate believer in is that I wasn't the same as anybody else. I've so I sell my own way, and it's the, it's as a result of reading all these books and being mentored by other people and coached by people and so on. So I take all these influences and make it myself and my own. You know, I utilize and optimize my own strengths, my own unique abilities. But we're trying to take that away from people these days. And and the you know the golf analogy for me is always you know look at a golfer for people who follow golf. You know, the best golfers of, you know, sort of the 90s and the 2000s was Jim Furyk, mm-hmm. who has a very idiosyncratic swing, to say the least, yes. compared to all the all the other pros. But, you know, won the U.S. Open and, you know, won, was one of the most successful golfers of his generation. I and, can people, tell, and, and he resisted, he resisted changing and people yes. have for out because this worked for him. He, he optimized it. And we... Training now is like, let's turn somebody into a clone of somebody else, as opposed to let's optimize your value, your benefit that you can offer to us. Well, I've uh, I prepared to win a little bit. We've never met before. 
but I did look up your work, as I said, studied it a little bit, agree with it 100%, because you are a differentiator. Is every leader the same? Do they have the same teaching uh, modes, same ethics, same everything? No. And you also, when we're talking about a leader or a salesperson, all right, just remember, they're all over the map. You don't have to be a born salesperson. Mm -hmm. You become a salesperson. That's what you talk about. That's what you teach. And so, therefore, let me just give you a quick little example. Sure. They both happen to be, luckily, very close personal friends. Let's just take two fabulous coaches. Look at Tony Dungy and the Mm -hmm. way Tony coaches on the sidelines like this. And I know him quite well. I recruited him to the University of Minnesota. Minnesota. Yeah, played defensive back, yeah second father to him. He's got that laid back style. Now let's go to the opposite. Lou Holtz. Right. My my best friend in the whole world outside of my family. Talk every other day for 30 years. He's walked 5,000 miles on that sideline. Mm -hmm. He is an all-time motivator. I've been in a locker room with him for 30 years of coaching. Another Vince Lombardi. Right. Uh, Newt Rockney, and yet there are all different kinds of coaches. See, you don't have to be a Holt with that style, but that's his style, and you have to be yourself, just as you say. Uh, every everyone's different. Every three, uh, I don't know. I think there's seven point two billion people. <laughs> okay, and every single person is different. Yeah, I, I, I just sort of controversial. You know, I talked to groups of salespeople and with their managers in the room, I say, you know, sometimes you just have to say no to your manager. You know, they, they want you to do a certain thing a certain way. And yeah, they've experienced, they've got insights, you know, take that into account. But if it doesn't align with who you are personally, your values, your character, it's not going to be authentic. It's going to be transparent to the buyer that that's not really you. You're sort of going through the motions and you'll never make that connection with that other human being the way you want, unless you're truly yourself. Nope. Let me uh, let me make an observation, okay, when it comes to sales. Uh, I'm a lucky guy speaking once a week, as you know, for 30 years. Yeah. yeah. And it doesn't matter whether there's one, three, five, seven, ten thousand people in the audience, they will be representing bankers and insurance company and HR and sales and techies and all that. And I'll make the statement now, this whole conglomeration of different industries, I'll make the statement that whether you agree with me or not, No one can talk me out of this statement, and that is as follows. Every single person in this audience is a salesperson. Why do I say that? Because from the moment you get up in the morning to the moment you go to bed, what are you doing all day? All right? Mm -hmm. You're you're negotiating. You're communicating. You're persuading. You're You're influencing. Influencing, right, exactly. Ideas. So then I say, if you don't think you are a salesperson, I feel sorry for you. Yeah. Well, I think that, and that's an interesting, interesting segue to one of the things I want to talk to you about because I would, when I talk to groups of salespeople, is I put a question up on the board. I said, you know, and the question is, what's your job? And and they all think their job is to sell something. <laughs> and it's like, well, not really. What what's your job is first of all, you have to form a connection and a relationship with a buyer. And then you have to serve them. And the sale is an outcome of doing those two things. But we're excited. We've got people just think, yeah, my job is to sell something. So if my job is to sell something, it's something I'm doing to someone as opposed to doing it with them. 
And that makes all the difference in the world. I mean, you give the examples in your book of, of you know, one client that you, potential client that you nurtured for what, six years or something. And before you finally got the business buzz because of how you served in the interim while you were following up, that you got that business. Once again, right on. Um, let me let me talk about because you mentioned earlier. Okay, and of course the key word is uh, relationships, mm-hmm. w- without question. It's relationships to start out with. Then comes the serving. But I have this McKay sixty six that you uh, kind of referred to. Oh yeah, well, top t- of- tell people about it. I was twenty one years old. I had three hundred accounts. I was selling envelopes in the Twin Cities and. In the state of Minnesota, mm-hmm. a little bit of South Dakota, but 300 accounts. And I decided that I'd make a list. And I sat down and made a list of 66 questions. So if Andy, I were calling on you, I'd want to know you a little bit about your background, your education. If you happen to be married, do you have children? Where did you go to school? Where did you get your education? What are your politics? Mm-hmm. I want to know your interests. Where are you taking your vacations? How many jobs have you had? What do the kids do? What are your interests? These are 66 questions. Again, what I call humanize your selling strategy. So if I'm calling on you, Andy, I don't care if I'm selling envelopes, widgets, nuts and bolts, securities, industry, I mean, insurance, doesn't matter what. Okay, the concept will not change. We will not be talking 100% business when I'm across that purchasing table from you, right? all right, your purchasing manager, maybe any transaction, any communication, any negotiation. So if I know all of those 66 things, and of course, five are better than two, 20 are better than 10, 30 are better than 20, I build that up. I make a call on you, I read the desk, I read the walls, I hopefully get you to lunch or dinner, I ask questions about all those 66 things I wanted to know skillfully, conversationally, then then you can't, you know, we're going to talk about some of those things. Hey, did you see the Yankees got slaughtered last night? You know, and I know that you hate Yankees. It's just (laughs) one little tiny thing, you know, just make, making that up. But you could, that's how you, that's how you reach someone with a relationship. You always want to go deep with a relationship. That's all. Yeah. just can't, just can't be on the outside a little bit and cold. You must go deep. And from my perspective, you can't go deep without the 66. That's why I swim with the sharks, sold 5 million copies. Now my sales force, they went ballistic. <laughs> I mean, when I put that in a book, are you kidding me? And I said, look, I said, I can tell you one thing. Out of every 100 people that read this, okay, are going to forget right away because you forget 50% of what you hear uh, in four hours. And I said, there'll only be really, truly one in 10 that are going to follow this concept. All right. And guess what? We've had a 20, 30, 40 year head start on them. That's right. I'm not worried about it. Well, and this is a really important lesson for people who are selling today is because especially in, in segments of the tech business and people using inside sales methodologies where they have sort of their appointment setters making their first calls and so on as they've got lists of scripted questions, you know, one go one through 10. And if you listen, which I do to recordings of these phone calls, you know, they yeah. ask a question, 
they dutifully write down the answer. You know, then there's a pause while they're looking for the next question. They ask it again. And they're not, they're not going that one level deeper or two level deeper to really understand the person they're dealing with. And I told you before we started recording that, that when I read your book the first time, is I used it in part of it. I wasn't going 66, but I believed very passionately in this idea that the more information you have about somebody that you're dealing with, the better off you are. Boring, that's what I call really <laughs> boring. Yeah. Yeah, just, right? No one ever sold anyone anything by boring them to death. Right. So so it's like, how did, that's right, how do you have a conversation? I, and I got this, taught this lesson, reinforced actually even earlier in my career, before I did, read your book, is, is I was dealing with a uh, gentleman that owned a chain of, of jewelry stores in the Bay Area. And I was selling a computer system. I was fresh out of school. I was one of my, I don't know, I was 21 or 22 years old. Looked like I was 12. And um, and so we had, you know, we hit it off pretty well. But for some reason, we just, I was pretty confident I was going to get the order. But it just wasn't, wasn't coming. And, but yet he would still talk to me. And he was, he was older. He was near retirement age. And I think he was enjoying sort of mentoring me. And but I wasn't getting the order. My boss was convinced that I need to take it off my forecast. I said, "No, no, no I'm going to get it." And he said, "Well, hey, I'm going to come out with you, and we're going to talk to him." And I thought, "No, no, that, that's embarrassing. Have my boss come with me." So, so I go out, and it finally dawned on me when I, he very nicely you know, talked to me and brought me into his office. But in a raid on his desk were pictures of his grandkids, and they're all in soccer uniforms and various pictures. And he was just waiting for me to ask about his grandkids. <laughs> and it just, it just sort of dawned on me there it's like oh <laughs> and it's a lesson we all go through we have to learn early in our careers you know i thought i was doing a great job selling but you know that he was saying look the relationships are so important and he basically told me afterwards that's what he was waiting for he's waiting for me to get more personal and once i did he gave me the order i have um i have when i open up the 66 i say people don't care how much you know about them once they realize how much you care about them. Yeah. That's what I say. Incidentally, just a brief aside, uh, you mentioned Julian, I think of retail and retail mm-hmm. is detail, Andy. But uh, working my way through uh, college, I was uh, working at Howdy from Howard's downtown St. Paul, <laughs> Southern and Wabasha. And I learned two quick things. I was selling, you know, the underwear, the ties, the right. shirts. Before. Never the big ticket items. And they taught me <laughs> two things I learned. Don't ever, ever put more than three ties on the counter. You will confuse the customer. And number two, which I really, really like, though, never say goodbye. Walk that customer all the way out through the store, out into the street and say goodbye. I still remember that from 100 years ago. Yeah, no, I love, I love that. Well, I, my first job was selling women's shoes in JCPenney. In in Madison, Wisconsin, where I grew up, we're both Midwesterners. Um, yes. And yeah, I mean, I my first day on the job was was the day of a huge snowstorm, and so it was like the signal went out to everybody to go get their winter boots for the the season. And so I was I was inundated the first day, and you know I had all these sort of prototypical stories. They almost seemed like stereotypical stories of of you know I'd measure a woman's foot, we'd pick out a a shoe, and then they wanted it in a different size than what I'd measured. And 
and I thought, well, maybe I'm doing this wrong. You know, it's it's like you know, I'm trying to provide good service, but they want something different than what I thought they should be getting. And I, I was sort of pressing. And you know, that first day, I just learned this lesson. You know, it wasn't wasn't about what I thought was right. It was about what the customer thought was right and what thought what they wanted best. And and it was just like huge huge eye opener. Um, so it was besides being somewhat mortifying putting women's boots on but uh, good experience for a 16 year old guy oh without question and let me just uh, tell you I'm, I'm an aphorism junkie because my father once again right was a newspaper man so on me we, we should call it the ice box he'd have 30 40 50 aphorisms and uh always always would have one an extra one that he made up mm-hmm. and so i grew up in a, in a home with aphorisms right just, uh, I just follow my father's footsteps. But I do have many hundreds of them because I've never written a column without putting down there McKay's moral. And also in the chapters in my book, almost all my books have a McKay's moral. Mm-hmm. At the end. So when you mentioned experience, when a, when a person with money meets a person with experience, here's what happens. The person with the experience winds up with the money and the person with the money winds up with the experience. <laughs> I like that one. It just triggered my mind. Yeah, I like that one. Well, I mean, it's... it's. I want to get back to the 66 thing, because, yeah, you and I, I think, see eye to eye on some of this. Is, but I think it's a really important lesson, is that salespeople are being trained today, back to this training word, that customers are too busy to engage in small talk, that they're too busy to have this personal relationship that it's and and I think it's I think it's a I think it's nonsense is on one hand and it's sort of being encouraged by people saying well you know hey we've got all this artificial intelligence and machine learning and other technologies coming down the line that in some cases may supplant what salespeople are doing which again I think I think the opposite is going to be true you know I think that when we do see and we are seeing technology in some places rightfully come into sales and do certain things the ability to form the relationship with another human being, I think, becomes a more valuable skill in that environment, not a less valuable. That's you know your differentiation. Everybody's machines could be the same. You, the human, are going to be the differentiator. And so mm-hmm. people really need to take this seriously about the fact that you can't rely on technologies. And same thing with you know your 66 questions, the McKay 66s. Salespeople, again, are sort of trained as, well, go spend two minutes on LinkedIn and look at somebody's profile and their social. And, and you sort of get a, you know, learn about them. And they're sort of, learning about them, but then there's the learning about with the McKay 66, which is, yeah, we're going to do a deep dive and not an interrogation. Over the course of several calls and meetings, you're going to gather this information. But again, so often our discovery and our relationship building that people are being trained on is more of an interrogation than relationship building. True story yesterday. Um, had a fellow from New York call me, uh, young, young millennial, okay, in his early 20s. Mm-hmm. Quite bright. Ask for my advice. He's going to make a sales stop and try to close a very substantial order, uh, close to a couple hundred thousand dollar order mm-hmm. to build a particular website for this customer. And he said, uh, any suggestions? Might you be able to help me? Only known him a little while. And um, so I started to ask him some questions. I said, well, uh, first of all, where does he live? And he said, New York. And I happen to know it. Tell it was from a different city. Right. Uh, number two, I said, you know, is he married? I don't know. I said, what was his background? I don't know. He, he didn't have one answer 
to the 66 at mm-hmm. all. But he knew everything, triple, super, sharp, techie, all right, about what he was going to sell them. Mm-hmm. That he knew something about. So his probability of making the sale just went down from my perspective. And so I told him if you would have talked to me about a year ago and you would have built the relationship, you would have been a huge favorite to make the sale. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's going to happen right now. But, you know, millennials, uh, they are different. Uh, and they are different depending on where you live. The millennials in Minneapolis or North Dakota or South Dakota might be a little bit different than California and New York. Sure. Uh, and just one little thing about millennials. This is my experience only. Uh, they really don't care about money as much as the prior generations have done. You know, they're yeah. interested, of course, but they want to—they want to be heard. They want to—they want to be heard, and I think they want to achieve. I mean, this is this is, yeah. I think, one of the real misconceptions that people have about millennials is is because again, I work with them all the time. Is I'm a, for my money, the hardest working, most motivated generation I've seen for a while. And and partly because you know they brought up in this age where they just don't accept things at face value, right? The things have to be the way they are just because that's the way they are. And, they are. And I think that's a great, excuse me, a great mindset to have is that okay, why can't we change this? And this goes. You said you uh, you said you you work with them. Uh, I'm a lucky guy. Uh, last twenty five to thirty years. Uh, I've been speaking to the major MBA programs mm-hmm. in the United States, the Harvard, right. Stanford's, the Whartons, Michigan, but I also get three commencement speaker. Mm-hmm. So recently, University of Southern California, a few years back, Penn State. Uh, and so I get a feel, touch, and pulse of what these young people are thinking about. And that really helps me. It keeps mm-hmm. me young also. So it really, truly helps. Well, I think that's part of the reason why I'm I'm so passionate in the mission that that I have and that that you've had for your career about you know the personal, the human to human aspect of selling, because again, I think that you know just generationally, they're digital natives; they're more accustomed to you know messaging that's more virtual, more digital. But that's not the same relationship. I mean, you can use it to answer some of those sixty six. You can use it to start to get to know someone, but. Nothing place, you know, replaces the face-to-face and the in-person even. And as much as this is great, this is a great you know, substitute for travel sometimes, but sometimes you just got to get on a plane or get in your car and go see a customer. I mean, you got to be able to you know, see the body language, and, and that's being devalued. And I think, I think it's going to come full circle. I, re- I feel like the trend is starting to happen. I agree. I agree. But it's, it's just something that needs to be encouraged, and people listening and watching this have to say, think to themselves, is every time you have an opportunity – actually go see somebody go see somebody and it's surprising you know i'll talk to some sales managers about you know i've got this really brilliant strategy for you how to close more sales what's what's that well leave the office and go meet the customer in person andy can i tell you the new venture uh, in 180 seconds what i'm working on sure go ahead uh, just because it's uh, well it's a little transform uh, transformational um i started three four years ago at harvey mckay university mm-hmm. university where I have uh, some top, top videos of top people, of course, like Alou Holtz, uh, John Maxwell, and so forth. The, the best of the best, the Ken Blanchards, uh, you know, the Gimmers. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, it's on sales, marketing, uh, negotiations, entrepreneurship, leadership, hiring, firing, 
time management, mm-hmm. visualization, creativity. Anyway, uh, and I got all these speakers, and I, I, I'm very proud of it because I had a round table. I brought all these speakers in and then started the university. So now I'm launching in the next uh, two to four weeks, okay? That was 1.0. Now we're going to 2.0, and I'm calling it the Harvey McKay Academy. And these are totally new speakers, totally new videos, totally new presentations, mm-hmm. interviews, everything. And I'm going to launch it worldwide. Uh, I'm going to try to uh, cut into some of those 7 billion people out there that I know are hungry and starved, quite frankly, especially if you're an American. Mm-hmm. If you're an American, you know, the books in 80 countries, I can reach quite a few people. And when the, the books are in those countries and you're an American, boy, do they love Americans. And do they love American business people. So that's what I'm going to be doing uh, in the next two to four weeks. So quite proud of the new venture. Well, excellent. Good. All right. Well, make sure people check that out. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, we sort of run out of time, but do you have any... Uh, run out uh, of time? We've only been talking five minutes. <laughs> it seems like, all right. Is, um, uh, yeah, well, well, we'll get the contact information. We'll put it on the website so people can see that. They can get uh, access to that. We have, and, we have time for one more major point. Sure, go ahead. This is my whole life, uh, to, along with the 66. There are, um, there are a million words in the English language. And if you don't understand this one little four-letter word, you can't be a CEO, can't be a president, can't be a coach, can't be president of the university, can't be a sales manager. You have no chance whatsoever. And what is that four-letter word? H-I-R-E. If you can't hire, you have no chance. That's all there is to hire the right president of the university right through the roof. Mm-hmm. Straight down. Hire the right coach, straight up. Hire the right CEO, boom. And so that's what I've been concentrating really on my last uh, 40, 50 years in business. I've studied it all over the world, uh, how to interview and how to hire great people. Well, hugely important. And yeah, I've got something that I'm releasing here shortly about uh, how to make your hiring process more data-driven, You know, take some of the emotion out of it. Because that's a problem that, especially in small business, they really have is you'll see a hiring manager, A, they don't like the process, so they meet somebody that sort of, you know, looks good in a suit, presents themselves well, and they don't validate that they're the right fit or verify their qualifications. And, you know, it's a mishire, which costs you know, money. <laughs> you're, you're aware of how much that costs to have a bad hire. So, yeah, I think that's a really critical, critical aspect that could be so much better performed than it is today. And, yeah, we've got some stuff coming out about that as well. Well, I've truly enjoyed it. Yeah, I have uh, as well. Nice chatting with you. Look forward to the next time. Yeah, as well, I do, and we'll make sure that happens. And uh, yeah, next time I'm in the Midwest, we'll we'll get Wishing together. Wish you good luck and get the order wherever you go. All right, thanks, Harvey. Bye bye. Thank you, Harvey. Okay, friends, that was Accelerate for this week. First of all, I want to thank you for joining me, and I want to thank my guest, Harvey McKay. Join me again next week as I am joined by Chris Hallberg. Chris is author of the book titled The Business Sergeant's Field Manual, Military-Grade Business Execution Without the Yelling and the Push-Ups. One of my favorite titles. All right, unfortunately, I think 
Bridget will still not be with us next week, but she, hopefully she'll be back by the following week. So that's something to look forward to as well. So thanks again to our sponsor, Discover Org, for their ongoing support of Accelerate. And thanks again to you for joining me. And until next week, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.